Well, good morning, everyone. Today we continue in our series in the book of Jonah, and it's the third week. So if you're just now joining us, if you've been away for the summer for different reasons or in and out, hey, here you are. Catch up on the other weeks if you want, but we're not that far along. I thought that it would be like a four or five week series, you know, one chapter at a time. So far, we're one verse at a time or so, and today we're in verse four of chapter one. So if you have your Bibles, you can open to Jonah, Jonah chapter one. Let me begin with some opening questions. To what extent will God go to get your attention? How, how far will he go? For how long will he be long-suffering? How deep is his ocean of mercy toward your stubbornness? You know, today's sermon is a reminder that God will do whatever it takes to get our attention. And when I say attention, I'm actually referring to our hearts, our worship, our trust, complete reliance and surrender. We're going to talk about a storm today. Now, often when we talk about storms, we talk about it from the perspective or the, the viewpoint, I guess, of, of uh, like the enemy, Satan, or just this broken world coming down, crashing down on us. Like we've been having, you know, a deep and holy and fast and strong pursuit of the Lord, and then just stuff is thrown at us, kind of like Daniel throwing in the lion's den scenario, a little bit what we were just singing a moment ago. T- today's passage conveys a different vantage point, and that is one of our, uh, uh, those unique moments in life when we, when we rebel against God and he chases us down, all right? So, so both kind of scenarios happen in life, and for some of us, uh, you are in this one that we're talking about today. You know, you're here, but you know, deep down, there's just this pushback against God. I've been there too, many times in my life. And so for you, I have this question, what will it take for God to get your attention? And originally I thought that this would be a message that would cover how God used three different signals to get Jonah's attention. He used a storm, he used a crew, and then he also used a giant fish. And I thought it'd be one package, right? It turns out this is a three-part series, mini-series within our broader series. There is so much here. So part one, what will it take for God to get your attention? Jonah chapter one. I'm going to start, since we're so close to the beginning, I'm going to start reading in verse one. We'll read um, all of uh, one, two, three, and four. So you can follow along here. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went to the opposite direction, went, went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and he went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Okay. So, so far, this is week three. So, so far, week one, arise and go. Last week, but Jonah. Today, but the Lord. You know, if there is a quick little summary of what you don't want in your biography, it's that. That whole scenario and that breakdown. But if we are honest, that is etched in our story a lot. And sometimes in little ways, usually in, very, in, in little micro ways during, during, the, during the week or so. But there are moments in life now, those of you who've walked with the Lord long enough uh, and uh, 
and you have some stories to tell, you could say, Here, here's my version, <laughs> here's my life uh, rendition of the Jonah incident. Most people think that the only way God got Jonah's attention was using the great fish, which we'll look at in a few weeks. But what we learn in this text and next week is that there were smaller signals before the larger signal. This first signal was a great storm. Smaller signals before the larger signal. Some of you are in this moment where you're getting little signals and you're still not picking up what's being put down. This is your window of time. Please respond to those little ones. Now, when we think about this great storm, our attention shouldn't be necessarily on imagining the wind and the rain and the, and the waves, uh, but the one who created this storm. I don't know about you, but I got to go to the beach this summer. I was actually just there a few days ago. Don't tell anybody. It's, it's frowned upon when, when preachers go to the beach. <laughs> just, just kidding. It's not. Uh, but I was there, and there was a storm. And you're just watching the waves, because the, um, the hurricane was hitting. Uh, so where we were... Uh, in Virginia still, we just got some remnants of it. Nothing, I mean, super minor compared to the pictures down south, right? And it's violent, it's, it's, uh, it's intense. You know, you're looking at it all of it, you're just looking at all these waves. Well, who is responsible, at least in, in Jonah chapter one, who, who was responsible for that particular storm? Well, we're told right out of the gate. Verse four, let's read this together. I'll read it, you can follow along. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Now, in Hebrew writing, it's common for the verb to be first. In this case, we actually have Yahweh at the beginning of the sentence, which catches our attention to show us really who is the, the source and the agent, and, and it's, it's a, it, it emphasizes God's role in this incident and in this moment. There is sovereign ownership of this situation above Jonah's personal rebellion. The prophet Jonah, he convinced himself that he could simply run away from his divine assignment. And again, we're talking Jonah here. We're talking somebody who knows God. This should be super relatable to us who are followers of Jesus Christ because we know God, right? We've been reconciled to him. We've been adopted into his family. There are so many who are blind to who God is in his love and his mercy. We know God the way Jonah knew God. You know, several of us, uh, uh, I, I personally don't, but many of you have a military background, whether you served or your spouse served or your, your father or mother served in the military, and you can understand the whole concept of orders. When you get the orders, you go. You don't get to have a Jonah moment where you say, well, I just don't want to go there, and then you go the opposite direction. Jonah thought he could walk away, but the Lord showed him that his eternal plans were prepared and established, and even somebody like Jonah stubborn as he was, who desired a reassignment of the orders. He was not able to thwart God's plan. And God proved this, first of all, by orchestrating the weather pattern. And this was the storm. God created the oceans and has ultimate control of its movement. Think about Psalm 24. The first two verses tell us this. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. 
So God controls the oceans, God controls everything, even the ship itself. One scholar's observation was this. In contrast to the disobedient prophet, the wind, the sea, and even the ship were tuned in the Lord's purposes. So a storm on the water is not uncommon. People would have seen storms all the time, especially sailors. But there was a special purpose in the design for this storm. God molded the event to get Jonah's attention. And in fact, that word hurled is in there, right? That catches my attention because like, it's like a synonym for throwing up, right? Well, the Lord hurled this violent storm, and that's for good reason. That same word, for what it's worth, is used in the description about King Saul when he hurled the spear at David. So there's just this forceful, violent action that occurred. The Lord hurled a violent storm, ultimately to get Jonah's attention. Well, do you find God's comfort, or do you find God's actions in this comforting, or do you find it intimidating? What, what you, what's your kind of reaction to this? I'd say both. Right. Trick question. The story of Jonah is good for us to burn in our hearts so that we don't walk in the same path. So on one hand, some of us are right here in this spot where we need this kind of a story to bring us into a moment of repentance to the Lord today. While, we're, while you're listening, while we're gonna sing here in a little bit, this is your chance to respond to him. For others of us, it's our chance to say, yes, let me anchor myself to have a posture of my heart where I will walk in the way of the Lord, where I will not uh, run the opposite direction because he will come and he will find me and he will use whatever it takes to get a hold of me. So all of us need this kind of lesson in our lives and to learn it and to uh, really just find ourselves having a conviction about this matter. I faced this sort of Jonah fork in the road moment many times. A few stand out to me. Uh, once was in high school. I remember when I was in a relationship that was not pleasing to the Lord, and he taught me a very difficult lesson about obedience, and it, um, at the time, I thought it was like the largest, craziest um, kind of thing. God used an injury and other, other matters, to, a lot of discipline from my own parents to get my attention. And I, I felt like it was the rock bottom of my life. Now looking back over 20 years later, it's like, oh, well, I mean, that was bad, but you know, there's a lot of life to live and there are a lot of bigger mistakes you can make. But I remember another moment that catches my attention, kind of the most in light of this. It was when I enrolled in college and I, some of you know this, some of you um, don't, you, know, you haven't met me and stuff, but I really wanted to be in the military, and so I, I was in ROTC, and, um, or I was enrolled in it the night before classes started, I think the night before PT and stuff. After months of just a stirring in my heart where God was saying, that is not what I want you to do. Not even, it's not what you are supposed to do, Adam. I'm like, yeah, but it's a great, um, there's a great need. Uh, it's a great backup plan, like, because you never know what's going to happen in ministry. Uh, it's got, I don't know, just different things. It has an appeal to it. I was also 18 and thought it was really fun, the idea of jumping out of planes and holding weapons. And I remember the night before class, uh, the Lord basically reminded me of both the injury that happened in high school in my moment of disobedience, and then also uh, this story of Jonah saying, 
basically, Adam, you, you, have, you have this fork in the road moment now that if you do not respond, you will get out of it. It's just a matter of will you, uh, will you take yourself out or do I have to get you out? And so I'm immediately thinking it's probably gonna be some sort of injury. I'd already met others who'd been injured in one way or another. And um, anyway, just that, I, that was one case. There's been others since then, right? Since we've been married, since we moved here, all sorts of other stories. Some of them you've heard over the time. Some of these you could share in your own group that you'll meet during the week in which you have these moments where God is trying to get your attention. All of these convey the classic scenario where God calls us to move one way, yet we have a tendency to move in a different direction. And in those moments when we run a different direction, it seems as if God kind of sits back, he allows a couple things to play out, and he's like, all right, are we gonna roll like this or not? I didn't, you know, you had your chance, but I guess you're not gonna, not gonna listen, so let's, let's intervene here. This one commentator, his name's Albert Barnes, he wrote one a long time ago, and he wrote this. God had let Jonah have his way as he often deals with those who rebel against him. He lets them have their way up to a certain point. He waits in the tranquility of his almightiness until they have completed their preparations and then when man has ended, God begins. Friends, this storm was not random, but it was a tool God used to get Jonah's attention. God could have prevented the ship from even being available or having a spare ticket or it could have just been stuck at port, but no. He allowed it to go out into the sea. Jonah thinks he's escaped. He's down in the bottom sleeping. We're gonna read about that next week. And when the ship is out in open water, God went to work and he used a violent storm to accomplish his purposes. Now, if you're like me, you might be thinking about other stories in scripture in which there's a violent storm that God uses to display his glory, manifest his work and his ability. One of those is found in Mark chapter four in which Jesus is with his disciples. Jesus is sleeping. And here you have the disciples um, on the water and all of a sudden a violent storm breaks out. And they are terrified. I, some of them are uh, fishermen themselves, professionals, and they are terrified. And then they wake Jesus, saying, hey, we're gonna die you know, if you don't do something here. Jesus, uh, he, he speaks this to the, uh, to, the, uh, to the waves. Mark 4, 39, he says, peace, be still. And it, uh, instantly, the water is calm. The disciples then are filled with great fear. And they say this phrase, who then, to the, who, who, who is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. It's a miracle in that moment that teaches a grander a lesson of who Jesus really is and why he's worthy of absolute trust and surrender and obedience. But whether it's this story in Mark 4 or Jonah chapter 1, all these stories, they remind us that God at times uses weather to manifest his abilities and control and rule in our lives. Yet unlike the miracle of Jesus with the disciples, the storm here in Jonah was sent with a divine purpose to bring about repentance. Matthew Henry wrote this, God sent a pursuer after Jonah, even a mighty tempest. Sin brings storms and tempests into the soul, into the family, into churches and nations. It is a disquieting and disturbing thing. The life lesson of Jonah's disobedience is not only for personal application, which is kind of our focus today, uh, but you know, just tuck it away in your back pocket. It is also for a broader application to a church family, to a community, to a nation, in which God uses mighty events to bring about a call. 
He's done that at times in our own nation or our own community. And uh, let me just simply say it this way. As a church family, you know, that which we are most immediately responsible for, let us not abdicate our responsibility to teach our children the lessons of Jonah. It's a very common kid's story, right? Jonah and the whale kind of stuff. Well, let's take it from just a fantastical kid's story that has a VeggieTales video about it to something that is burning in our hearts saying, no, no, God is trustworthy of our absolute surrender to him. And he will get your attention if you wanna run the opposite way. So God used a smaller sign before the larger sign of the big fish. Let me ask you this, when when has that happened to you? Can you recall a time in which there were smaller signs that slowly led up to a larger one? Let me scan the room real quick. I think we're all right. You know, maybe your car broke down on the way to, uh, uh, to uh, uh, interaction with somebody who's not your spouse. Perhaps you got fired from work before you would have gotten arrested. Perhaps you're a student and your parents caught you doing something you're not supposed to. You know, what ways has God gotten your attention in the past? Perhaps it's radical change of events. Could be the passing of a loved one. Could be a DUI or some other court order. Could be financial collapse of your portfolio. All those things happen. Sometimes we're personally afflicted. You know, our own physical health or certain things. It could be an injury. Could be a car accident. Could be heartache like a breakup. Could be sickness, losing employment. Is God trying to get your attention right now? Something that gives me such great confidence with this passage in our church family is knowing that in the size of our church and in my own experience, not only hanging out with uh, Christian college and everyone else, every single day, if not very specifically every week, there is somebody sitting next to us here who is engaged in something that they have no business being in. I have been there and some of us are there now. And therefore, we take this story and we allow ourselves to do the hard work, the honest work of humbling ourselves and saying, God, I do see the signal that you've been sending me. Usually, it's a negative one. Of course, not everything bad that happens is due to our sin or due because we need to repent, right? Job is a good example of this. He was characterized as one who was blameless and upright and feared God and turned away from evil in Job 1.1. But he endured awful trials, and that often is how I preach this kind of topic. But with Jonah, hey, we are like him in so many ways. One of the quickest ways to get our attention in our rebellion is a disciplinary action like pain or sickness or heartache. And what the world calls unlucky or misfortune, we know deep in our heart that God is trying to get our attention. Hebrews 12, 11 says it this way regarding God's discipline. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. 
Some of us are in a storm right now, and it's because of your rebellion to God. And it may not be even the largest scale, like God called you to go, you know, like, I don't know, what's an equivalent of Jonah? Uh, he's calling you to go on a, like, go be a missionary somewhere, and you say no, and then he causes, like, great disruption. It could be something like that. But for others of us, it, it may not be that way. And so, you know, God, the Holy Spirit, is so good to make it very clear to us in which ways. I'm not thinking of people specifically. I just recognize how impactful this can be for us. If you're in a storm, I think you're in this window of grace in which you must implement these four steps. And I want to give them to you. It's what God has used for me. And it guides us in this. So first of all, that the, and again, this, this is a... Uh, a self-induced storm, right? God is sending it to get your attention. Number one, look to God in your storm. Hebrews 12 says it this way. If you combine these two verses, one and two, it says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So we must fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. And Hebrews 12 teaches that he is the founder and perfecter of our faith. And this requires us to repent when we have gone the wrong way. It's turning away from our sin and turning toward Christ. And I'm not foolish to think that we are quick to act this way. Some of us are in a season in which we are just kind of, um, we're blind to how far we're running away from God. Um, In some ways, We can be incredibly stubborn, right? Your heart is like a diamond and you need the eternal carpenter to bust out his diamond saw and go to work and start getting your attention. Charles Spurgeon wrote it this way. You may have 10,000 trials and yet be none the better for them unless you cry out to God to sanctify every twig of the rod and to make the fury of the east wind to be a blessing to you. So let me encourage you to look to God and let's take it one step deeper here you know, let's be mature in our faith here. Let us look to God, not merely to end the discipline, to end the pain. Let's turn to God because he's worthy of it. To worship him, to know him because he's king. Right? Those kinds of reasons. Often we want the hurricane to stop, but it doesn't always stop right away or when we think. And so if you're like, God, all right, I'm gonna make a deal with you. If you do this and I'll do that, I'm telling you, you're in trouble waters there because uh, you don't make a deal with God. Just respond the first time with what he is calling you to do. So the first step, turn to Christ. Number two, remember God's relentless pursuit proves his love for you. Now you might be running away, but God hasn't checked out. He is proactively creating opportunities to get your attention and to get your heart back. Again, Spurgeon said, what you judged to be your destruction turned out to be for your salvation. God cares enough about your soul and your sanctification that he's orchestrating details to manifest his glory in your life. This should comfort us. Storms in life can actually be a sign of God's pursuit, especially if you're in unrepentant sin against the clear directives of God. So if you're, if you're God's child, then his mercy is greater than your rebellion because you are his. He's got his, his mark on you, his name on you. You are his. Isaiah 43, verse one puts it this way. Now, uh, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, 
for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. You know, if we are God's, then he goes after us. All of you who are parents can relate to this and the relentless pursuit that you have toward a child. Number three, let's remember where God is in this storm. Even if he sends it because he's trying to get our attention, he is present with us. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't send all that junk and allow it to happen and then leave us. He's actually right there. Isaiah 43, I just read verse one. Let me also read verses two and part of three. It says, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume, consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I find it a great comfort that God is with us in the storm. Well, the fourth step for you is to remember God's mercy. That's probably the, I, I, I think they're all important, but this one is where, at the end of the day, God's mercy is him withholding what we deserve and replacing that punishment with his salvation, with his goodness, with his gifts. Psalm 103, 11 and two says this, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Church family, because of Christ's work on the cross, we can have forgiveness of our sin on these seasons of running the opposite direction. We can experience new life. Titus 3.5 is super clear. God's mercy is for us because of who God is. Not because of our righteousness, not because of our good deeds, not because we can impress God and he wants to help us out. God's mercy is there because he loves us. And now some of us might be scared that we're gonna use up all of God's mercy or that we already have used it up so we're not worthy of it and that kind of stuff. The enemy's um, good at lying to us. Jason, when we were singing, had a great point just about the enemy's lies on this. Well, let's remember, when it comes to God's mercy, it's there if you respond. What you should be scared of is not using up God's mercy. What you should be scared of is that your heart will be hardened and you won't even turn to God's mercy. What happens time and time again is for a Christ follower to have such stubbornness that they eventually are hardened in their heart. So if you are hearing this and you have, you know, you have ears to hear and you recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit, that prompting that is pinpointing an area of Rebellion against God. If you're even hearing that, please turn to him. Give it over to him and walk in newness of life. If you continue out of that, you actually may find your spot. Your circumstances might not change or they may get worse, but you might find yourself slowly over time actually being hardened to the mercy of God that's available to you. That mercy is still there, but you won't even receive it. You won't, uh, you won't even except that it's available. All right, so if you're in a storm, I want you to look to God, number one. Number two, remember it's because he loves you. Number three, remember he's with you, even though it hurts. And fourthly, remember God's mercy. Friends, is God trying to get your attention right now? To help us think through this, I'm gonna ask my wife, Lynn, to share quickly when she was in Kenya. Come on up here, Lynn. 
she was in Kenya and she had an opportunity that captured some of this. And uh, I, it, it's just very fitting with what she saw and what she experienced. And, and how about you share with us a little bit? So there's been two times in my life where the Lord has used physical pain or sickness because of sin I was in. I remember the second time was recent. It was last year and I was really, really sick. I had had a fever for about five days and the Holy Spirit brought to mind a sin that I had done the day before I got sick. And I started to ponder that and I asked the Lord, if I'm sick because of this sin, can you make that clear? And the next day I opened my Bible, I had remembered my prayer, and I just randomly opened my Bible, and the first verse I saw, first verse I read was Psalm 38.3 that said, there's no health in my bones because of my sin. And I audibly said, wow. So I confessed, I repented. Uh, the Lord told me to also confess to Adam, who was wonderful and gracious about it. Fast forward to Kenya, um, God is dynamic, he uses all things together for the good of those who love him. So several things happened in Kenya that used past experiences that I thought had stopped at that point. But one of the pastors on our first day of ministry there was sharing that his daughter was really ill. Uh, her name is Nancy, she's about 16. She had been passing out, she had been having really serious chest pain and it had been about three months. They had gone to the doctors, they had gone to hospitals and they couldn't find anything and she was just getting worse. So he was asking if our team would come and pray with her as well as some of his closest friends, some of the Kenyans there. So that night we all walked, <clears throat> well actually, while he was telling us that story in the morning, I was looking for a verse. Uh, there's no Wi-Fi, so you can't look up verses. <laughs> so I, I was looking for a specific verse and then the Lord brought me to the verse of Psalm 38.3 and I thought, oh Lord, are you trying to show me that she's sick because of a sin in her life? And if so, please make that clear because that's not necessarily complete theology like Adam was talking about. You know, in John 9, the disciples asked Jesus who sinned that this man would be blind, him or his parents. And Jesus said, neither. He's blind so that the works of God may be manifested in him, in his life. So I didn't want to plant that seed if it wasn't true because I didn't want Nancy to not get better and then the Kenyans say, well, yeah, it's because she's still in sin, if that wasn't from the Lord. So I started to pray about that. That night, we walk to Pastor John's hut and we're all outside uh, and the worship was just incredible. There was about 40 Kenyans who were just worshiping so loud, and it was so amazing um, just to be under the stars and worshiping on the other side of the world with other brothers and sisters in Christ in another language, but sharing the unity of Jesus and sharing the unity of the Holy Spirit, it was, it was amazing. So they're all just <clears throat> worshiping, and <clears throat> I actually don't know who it was, but one of the Kenyans said, we're gonna worship, and then we want one of the Kenyans to pray over Nancy and we want one of the Americans to pray over Nancy. So there, we're all worshiping and then all of a sudden that verse came back to mind. 
So I started begging the Lord for wisdom. Uh, James 1 says, he'll give you wisdom if you ask. So I was begging him for wisdom, and all I felt was just confusion um, while we were worshiping, which isn't common for me. So, because uh, it'll be awkward. <laughs> you know, I, I'd have, after the worship, I'd have to stop everyone and say, I think I have something that it may or may not be correct. So I'm begging the Lord for wisdom. I just have pure confusion in my head, and I don't know what to do. So the pastor stops everyone from worshiping and says, we're gonna go ahead and and enter into that prayer. But before we do, our sister Lynn has a word for us. And yeah, so I just start bawling. And I shared with them, I felt the Lord say, share them the fullness of the theology so they understand. Um, So I shared John 9, explained not all sickness is from sin, but I said sometimes it is. And I shared my personal testimony and um, encouraged Nancy that if she had something to confess and repent to to do that so our prayers could be effective over her. So Robin prayed over her, the Kenyans prayed over her, and Nancy was healed. Um, She's been better since, but that's the story. Yeah, that's great. Thanks, Lauren. So what I encourage us to do, how about Aaron and the team, you guys come on up here to lead us in this, in this last song. I recognize that there's a lot going on. Now this is a three-part mini-series within the series. We're gonna talk about the same topic for three weeks. You get, you get a chance to really mull through it. Each of these different incidents in Jonah chapter one draw us back to the same thing. God is getting our attention. If you're in a spot where you are... Uh, totally tracking with what God's prompting on your heart. I want you to have this space to confess to him and to make that right with him based on not only scripture, Lynn and I's own testimony, so many of your others. This is a reality that we live in, right? And I know it's like, oh, you don't wanna talk about people's like personal rebellion. Yeah, well, it, it's very common. And so don't just jump in your car and drive home. Use this as a chance to get right with the Lord. It could be that he's gonna use this moment here to provide breakthrough. And so I want, this is a personal thing between you and the Lord, but we do wanna pray with you. If you're like, I just, I would really, I need this prayer. I 